Hi there and welcome to episode 12 of The L with me, Matt, and today I wanted to have a little look at Sacrifice. Uh, as I mentioned previously, I was preparing a lesson uh, for Elders Quorum uh, yesterday, and uh, it was all about the talk, Where Will This Lead? Well, one of the things that President Oates talked about in his talk, Where Will This Lead? Uh, he talked about the choices we make and where they lead us, the labels we give ourselves and how they inhibit where we can end up, uh, but also he talked about sacrifice. He referred to sacrifice as one of the things that we need to make sure we do and think about as we consider where we want to end up and where we want to go uh, with our mortal journey. And sacrificing requires, well, a sacrifice. Um, and it's often he, he talks about how sacrifice um, helps us to make further steps or choices that perhaps we wouldn't have if that sacrifice wasn't made. So as I looked at this, I, I looked into some uh, scriptural accounts uh, that where sacrifice has shown to have a, have a blessing, and I want to share those as part of the study session today. So in 2 Samuel chapter 24, we read of the account of David. Uh, now, of course, by this point, David has made some poor choices, uh, and so he is really... in. He's basically put himself in an, in an eternal consequence for the choices that he's made. However, he is still trying to live as close to the Lord as possible as he can and try to live the best life that he can moving forward. Now, uh, at this stage, at the uh, end of the book of Second Samuel, uh, David has made some more mistakes uh, and he is kind of given a revelation or, or, or guidance which says that he needs to to repent and move forward, and so he is making an offering. Now, he is offered some things uh, by, Ar and I'll try and say this correctly, Ar Aruna, a person called Aruna, uh, who is giving some, or give it, he's, he's got uh, oxen who are, which are good for, 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 birth, for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments and other instruments for the oxen and for the wood, and he's offering these things to David to, to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, but in verse 24 and 25, it says this, quote, And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Close quote. So here David clearly recognises, even in this state where he has made a number of poor choices in his life and he, he is, um, you know, under the Lord's um, standing in a, not a good place. And actually, you know, a, another mistake he's made has led to the possibility of a plague in Israel. He entreats the Lord uh, with a sacrifice, but he recognised that unless he paid for the sacrifice or unless he paid for the things that he was being offered to make the sacrifice, it wouldn't be an actual sacrifice on his behalf. And so he made those. He made that decision to pay for those things to make a sacrifice, and that was what uh, entreated the Lord to stay the plague from Israel, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, President David, President Howard W. Hunter actually um, spoke of this sacrifice, and he says uh, in his teachings, "quote In Second Samuel twenty four eighteen to twenty five, we read that David would not make an offering unto the Lord of that which cost him nothing." He no doubt reasoned that unless the gift cost the giver something of value, it was not fit or appropriate to be an offering for the Lord, close quote. And so as we kind of consider now uh, some, some examples, some other examples of sacrifice, consider where you are in, in what you sacrifice to the Lord. Do you offer sacrifice to him? Do you give things up 
so that you can see his work move forward or so that you can play your part. Now, um, there it is, of course, the example of Martin Harris in church history. Um, and this, is, this account can be found in Revelations in Context, which is, was recently published by the church in an attempt to help readers and members and non-members understand the contexts behind the revelations found in Doctrine and Covenants. And uh, I've not quite gone, I mean, I did start reading through them and then I kind of lost it part way through. Um, but now I've kind of had a look at the gospel topic essays and I'm in the middle of looking through, uh, through gospel topics. Once I've gone through those, I will be reading over, over the revelations in context again. Uh, but if I did find this on my first look through, and it was quite interesting with Martin Harris. Uh, he obviously um, was, was the man who was one of the scribes for, for the prophet Joseph Smith in the initial translating of the Book of Mormon. In fact, he is the one that lost the, the, the 116 pages rather famously. But he was, almost one of, he was also one of the three witnesses uh, to the Book of Mormon as well. And this is quite interesting. Uh, it says, quote, Now at age 45 and enjoying the fruits of his labours and the respect of his peers, Martin even considered hiring someone to care for his farm for several months so he could do some travel. But just when he began to contemplate this excursion, he received a visit from Lucy Matt Smith, who bore some intriguing news, close quote. And of course, this then leads him to finding out about the Book of Mormon, recognising Joseph as a prophet and... Uh, financing and assisting in the work of the translation of the Book of Mormon. So Martin Harris, you know, for many of his peers, will have been seen to make, be making a rather large sacrifice here to, to help finance the, the create the, the translation and the publication of the Book of Mormon. However, he obviously felt that this was something important he had to do. And as a result, he was one of the three witnesses that participated in being able to view the plates and see an angel testifying of their veracity. Uh, and also uh, see a number of other items that were with the book as well, uh, which, of course, was a huge blessing for him. And to the day he died, he, he didn't um, dis discount or disregard uh, the, the truth of, uh, the, of the translation of the book. Now, of course, uh, we, we do know that he kind of left his faith later in his years. Um, and, of course, we can move further in the scriptures to another example of sacrifice. And we find this, I, and this is a great example, uh, with Ammon. Now, I think we don't quite recognise just that the, how, how much of a, an, an account of sacrifice this is. But let's just have a read. Uh, in Alma, chapter 17, verses 23 to 25. Uh, this, uh, we find, is Ammon uh, in front of King Lamoni. And he is obviously on his mission to the Lamanites and intending to teach them the gospel. Uh, at this point, um, we can read from verse 23 to 25, verse uh, in those verses, quote, And Ammon said unto him, Yea, I desire to dwell among this people for a time, yea, and perhaps until the day I die. And it came to pass that King Lamoni was much pleased with Ammon, and caused that his bands should be loosed, and he would that Ammon should take one of his daughters to wife. But Ammon said unto him, Nay, but I will be thy servant. Therefore Ammon became a servant to King Lamoni, and it came to pass he was set among other servants to watch the flocks of Lamoni according to the custom of the Lamanites, close quote. Now this is really interesting because we know that the four sons of Mosiah intended to go to the Lamanites and preach and teach and try and convert them to the Lord. What, 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 what we're never told in the account up until this point is that they were willing to go for the rest of their lives. They were willing to give up their comfortable lives at home, not forgetting that they were princes in the land of the Nephites, um, go to this land where their people are hated, 
and live there as a servant for the rest of their lives. However, Ammon at this point reveals that he is actually willing to give up all his home, life, his family, his friends, and just to live as a servant for the king for the remainder of his days. This was a huge um, show of sacrifice. We don't, and I think sometimes we kind of miss what Ammon is actually offering here and why this probably had such an impact on King Moroni initially, that he was willing to give up all that he knew and, and the cultures and the friends and relationships and family that he had behind to serve this king. Uh, you know, a huge sacrifice, but one which obviously uh, resulted in, in much blessings uh, for not just for Ammon and his, and his close family and friends, but for many, many Lamanites that followed as well. We then come to a final account where perhaps uh, the person was, was le least less happy to sacrifice. And this comes uh, from a recent Come Follow Me study session in Matthew chapter 19, uh, where we read of the rich young man. And I'm not going to read all of it, um, but I will read verses 21 to 22 of chapter 19, because I think that this is the key part. Uh, it says, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give it to the poor, or give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Close quote. Now, I can't remember if I've mentioned before on the study session, but I've definitely spoken about it before elsewhere, that the phrase, come and follow me, um, actually is only given to a select group uh, throughout the New Testament. That phrase, come follow me, or come and follow me, or follow me from the Saviour, is only extended to those who would eventually become his disciples, or more specifically, his apostles. Now, for me personally, I see this as, as a great invitation for this rich young man. The Saviour obviously knew that he was, he was obedient, he kept his covenants in, as, as far as the, where the commandments were concerned. Uh, however, he did lack this one thing, to truly sacrifice something important to him. Um, in this case, his abundant riches. And so the Saviour gives this invitation, probably knowing that he would not accept it, for the Saviour knows all and he, uh, he, he knows God's children. But he still gave that invitation for that rich young man to give, to give him the opportunity. But he goes away sorrowful. And it's a, dis it's a shame for him because obviously he, we don't know what he could have accomplished in the service of the Lord in his lifetime. He could have done great things uh, for, to, to build the kingdom. As a, res as a result, you know, he probably lived a very happy life with the riches that he had, but maybe not as fulfilling as he could have had with the Saviour. Um, there is a quote that I want to share with you uh, linked to this by uh, Elder Joseph B. Worklin. Uh, and he... Um, you know, he he want, he kind of added a bit more to to this outlook from this young man. Uh, he said, "Quote: The saviour taught clearly the proper value of worldly possessions in his conversation with a rich young ruler who asked what was more, what more was required to have eternal life. He had kept all the commandments from his youth. He asked the master what he still lacked. Jesus told him to sell all that he had and give to the poor and come and follow him. But the man went away sorrowing, for he loved his possessions." How many of us would pass this test? Many of us have made sacred covenants to live the laws of sacrifice and consecration. For when the Lord blesses us with riches and affluence, we may give little thought how we should use these blessings to help build up his church. Close quote. And then uh, by Elder Bruce R. McConkie, he also spoke about this. 
Uh, he says, quote, and we are left to wonder what intimacies he might have shared with the Son of God, what fellowship he might have enjoyed with the apostles, what revelations and visions he might have received if he had been able to live the law of a celestial kingdom. As it is, he remains nameless. And as it might have been, his name could have been had in more honourable remembrance among the saints forever. Close quote. Now, I mean, obviously, I'm not suggesting that if we sacrifice uh, something important to us, then our name will be known for, for generations to come in the church. But I do firmly believe that if we sacrifice in our lives things that are important for the blessing and benefit of others, then our name will be remembered by a, a certainly a, a, a small group at least, our families, close friends, maybe even the wards or, or states that we live in. I can remember and I know the names of a number of people uh, in, in my stake uh, who I didn't really know, but I'm aware of their influence and their legacy. And I think that when we think about legacy and what we leave behind, sacrifice is one of those things that has to be a part of that. And so uh, as I close this study session, I just hope that we can all consider, you know, how or what we are able to sacrifice in our lives. Obviously, making sure that we have plenty for, for our own and for our family. But then what can we sacrifice for those uh, around us to, to bless and uplift and edify them? I hope you've enjoyed and, and got something from this study session today. Please follow me uh, at Matt S. Roberts 90 uh, if you have anything that you wish to share from your studies, which we can uh, share on this podcast. Uh, thank you for listening and until we meet again.